Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plain seeking a home where he himself is free. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great strong land of love where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. It never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. The segment of the Langston Hughes poem, Let America Be America Again, was read by our colleague, Dr. Kenneth Jones. A few weeks ago, it was read responsively at the opening of the 4.0 Schools Community Summit at the urging of Matt Candler, founder and CEO of 4.0 Schools. He encouraged us to think about the poem, its message as pertinent and powerful as it was 80 years ago when Hughes wrote it. Matt is thoughtful that way. He's always listening and pushing to understand what's next in learning. It's what he calls hashtag future of school. That's why I serve on the board of his nonprofit 4.0 schools. It's an interesting New Orleans-based organization. They are great at incubating people, tools, and schools. Fast Company described it as unique in the country, a nonprofit that runs a four-day intensive book clubs, unconferences, and other programs to turn teachers and others with a passion for education into entrepreneurs with a solution. But in this podcast, you'll hear Matt lay out his vision for the future of learning. And he asks us to think about 4.0 not as an incubator, but a community, one focused on the future of school. A lot of folks try to put 4.0 in institutional buckets. I've crossed two of those buckets out on this slide. Oh, you're an incubator. No, we're not an incubator. Things get better here, ideas get better, and people get better, but that's not what we do here. Oh, so you're like a school for entrepreneurs. Well, you're getting closer. We care about humans, but it's not just that either because it's not like school in the sense that you're just putting knowledge in your head. We do stuff here. So the, the staff, 4.0 staff, does nothing. We're the laziest people in the group. You do the work. And that's why hospitality reigns as our first value because we not, know that this is not about us modeling or you sucking up knowledge from us. This is about us equipping you to change school. So how does 4.0 help those who seek guidance to change schools? A majority of it comes from 4.0's rigorous process that gives aspiring entrepreneurs a pathway from their initial hunch to the launch of a new product or a new school. Matt broke down that process for me. One way to describe this is using a Mad Lib, just to fill in the blank tool. Um, Blank has a problem, and that problem is blank. I want to solve that by blank, and I'm going to test that solution by blank. And so the metaphor I'd use to describe it is 
my favorite category of metaphor, metaphors, which is food. So in the old days, you start a restaurant, you go find somebody with a million bucks, you get a building, you build it out, you get a recipe, you build, you, you cook it, you hire everyone, and you pray somebody shows up the first day. Right. And you pray a reviewer gives you a good review. Right. Well, you know, in New Orleans, we've seen a radical um, diversification in the food uh, served here over the last 10 years, and a lot of that is due to two types of technologies, uh, the pop-up dinner and the food truck. And so 4.0 at its simplest is a community in which you're welcome to pitch any idea that you think might make school or, or learning better for children. And then we run you through training and then give you the money to do a pop-up, one meal, one time, first time version of that idea. It could right. be a school or a learning space or a tool, digital or, or otherwise. And then if, if you take us up on that offer and you work through the feedback you get with the human beings that are in that test with you. This is not a paper exercise. This is not a brainstorming exercise. This is a put it in front of families and students. Come back to us, and then we'll take you through a second stage, which we call the Tiny Fellowship. The first stage we call Essentials. The Tiny Fellowship gives you $10,000 and double that in coaching so that you can run like a food truck scale, week-long, maybe a month-long version of that more unbundled element of what school could be. Who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog-eat-dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in that ancient, endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker sold to the machine. I am the Negro, servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean. Hungry yet today despite the dream. Beaten yet today, O oh pioneers. I am the man who never got ahead, the poorest worker bartered through the years. For another take on rethinking our education system, Check out Season 1, Episode 33 of the podcast, where we spoke with Michael Moe of GSV about the future of learning and innovations in education in a podcast titled, Everybody Needs an Equal Opportunity to Participate in the Future. Matt Candler is driven by equity. He's been working on good schools for kids in low-income neighborhoods in the South for a long time. He thinks it's important to know where we came from so that we can chart the course forward. In his Community Summit keynote, he referred to the 17th century laws that introduced compulsory education in our nation, albeit on unequal footing. I think that the future of school is for all of us, not for a few. That first law in 1642, written for white children of privilege, not for all children. At the time, we didn't think children 
whose parents or who they themselves came here from Africa were humans. So from the get-go, we have structural flaws in what we think about this word, school, this thing, education. And if we don't unpack that as the people building the future, we are, what, doomed to repeat it. The first point of Matt's manifesto is that the future of school is for all of us, not just a few. I asked him to explain. If you look back at the history of uh, how we've done school in the U.S., it starts, most folks would say it would start in 1642 or 47 with one of those two laws passed in Massachusetts. And, you know, those laws were for uh, white kids of, of landed gentry. Uh, and they were predominantly focused on literacy um, so that they could combat um, evil spirits. And, you know, Satan's deluder law was the, the name given to that 47 law. And I think as I've unpacked the history of what we've tried to do in schooling, I think I've, I've realized that we rarely take the time to, to understand that history because if that's the basic foundation of this concept of public school, then we've got to own the fact that even out, out of the gate, structurally, we were limiting it. We, we, the foundation upon which we have built this um, wasn't inclusive. And so yeah. we've been trying to sort of make it more inclusive by mapping more things onto it, act it asking right. it to do more for us. What I think, um, if at the core we have to change it is this, is that fundamentally we have been thinking about school as an institution, not a collection of human beings. And that frustrates me. It makes me mad. This is what Webster says. It's an organization. It's an institution. We have outsourced this idea of education to this non-human institution. That's a problem because humans can be left out. And indeed, from the very beginning, we have been leaving them out. And if we want to fix that, we have to ask questions about the institutions we've set up. What if we push back as a community on the idea that this is not about institutions, but about human beings learning together? And indeed, the distinction between learning and school is that it is done in community. What if that was our working definition of what we were all trying to build? That, to me, is a brighter future than the dark past. So I think that the future of school is fundamentally about human beings. We've walked an interesting parallel path for the last um, couple decades. And uh, I know for the last uh, 10 years, I've been really interested in ways that technology can personalize learning. And I, I find it so interesting that I keep circling back to the fact that it's really all about relationships, yeah. that very few of us learn on a computer because we can it's that we're activated through powerful relationships so I, I i love the idea of uh school redefining school as humans learning together thanks uh, you know I, I it was one of those lazy man's getting ready for a talk moments when you just go to the dictionary definition of the word you know and you look it up and then i saw this striking Description: The Webster defines school as an institution, oh. right, an, an organization for education. I was like, God, that is just soul sucking. 
Um, and I, you know, I think I've always been challenged about this idea of what's the difference between learning and school or learning and right. education. And I think it's that it's like you can learn on your own, but you can't do school on your own. So the yeah. that boundary between learning, which could be done by yourself, and school, which requires community, uh, has helped clarify that for me. Yeah, no, I love the opening. It did sort of remind us all that we're trapped in this institution of our own construction yeah. right and yeah. and a lot of us rail against it but it is what we what we constructed so i think you helped us be more conscious of that today yes i'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world while still a surf of kings who dreamt a dream so strong so brave so true that even yet its mighty daring sings in every brick and stone, in every furrow turned. That's made America the land it has become. Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lee. And torn from black Africa's strand, I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me. Surely not me. The millions on relief today. The millions shot down when we strike. The millions who have nothing for their pay. For all the dreams we've dreamed. For all the songs we've sung. And all the hopes we've held and all the flags we've hung. The millions who have nothing for our pay except the dream that's almost dead today. The industrial age concepts of big factories and scale economies have driven our thinking on school for more than 100 years. And if we shift to a lens that looks at this for human beings, we can start to think smaller. So let's go back to my definition. For the math pros in the room, if you're using the word humans, how many humans can you have? How small can that number be and it still be humans? Anybody? Two. Two. Nice. What if instead of thinking about let's get school as big as it can be so that we can have cost economies and scale and efficiency and serve our children and institutions, what if we started thinking about how small we can make it? and said the molecular level, at the molecular level, this is school. And anything smaller is just learning. But anything bigger than one, if they're doing it together, that's school. So if we start at that molecule and we start building up from there, where should we stop? Should we go all the way up to 1,000 or 10,000? One piece of inspiration for me is an anthropologist named Robin Dunbar who did some really remarkable work on how many relationships can we as human beings maintain and truly understand each other. His research suggested that this was the number. And I'm not saying all schools should have to change to be between 2 and 148, but one of the reasons why we rely on this number is because if we build learning spaces at this scale, one of the assets that we can unlock are students themselves. Student-to-student -student learning is very hard to do in communities when there are that many, when there are many more than that number. 
But if we constrain ourselves to 2 to 148, what would happen? Could we unlock students as teachers? Not just learners, but teachers of one another, of us. That's the hypothesis around a lot of our micro-school work, is that we challenge you to build schools smaller than this number so that you could, you have the potential, according to his research, of unlocking true student-to-student teaching. And one of the reasons why we challenge you to test at scale much smaller than this is because you can start your organization, start that space on a footing that is fundamentally human scale. So I think the future of school is smaller because it can be more human. Despite advances in technology, we continue to find that relationships are key to learning and that structures that support sustained relationships can lead to really powerful learning experiences. Matt and I discuss some old ideas that still hold up and could be updated today with new tools. I obviously had a lot of affinity for uh, this statement, the future of school is smaller scale. Yes, you do. I look, I, you know, I look back on the work that you did to push that conversation two, two decades ago, right? Yeah. And uh, I wonder a lot about that, Tom, and I wonder if, the, if we had the technology we have now to deliver content uh, more efficiently. You know, we go over the metaphor that I talked about between m- movie theaters and Blockbuster and Netflix. If we had the technology we have today, I think the reaction to that would have been radically different. Yeah. And I just wonder if it's not time well, to if, bring that if back. You, if you go back three decades, there, there was so much right about the open concept, yeah. right? That back in the 60s, true, there, true, was, true. Um, there was a lot right. Human scale, highly personal, uh, super creative. And, and to some extent, it sort of collapsed of its own weight because it was a bit unwieldy. It was, mm-hmm. it was difficult to, uh, to manage. So how to revive some of those great early ideas and make them, um, make them more, more scalable, more sustainable with some new tools? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think the one thing that's enlightened, that's helped me, is uh, if you think about this extreme, right, which in, in that decade was individualism and and freedom, um, and in, in this decade, it is more about sort of web-based or digitally enabled, personalized, individual, it could be me but with my laptop by myself, and then the other extreme of this monolithic industrial institution that we've made too complex, in the middle is what we call a modular learning space, a coding lab, a maker space, A26 Valencia. Um, in San Francisco. And these are places that don't aspire, nor are they required by law to be the school of record for a child, nor do they go to the extreme of saying that they're in the business of a, of a child living, uh, learning in isolation. They, there is a community uh, collective aspect to it, but it's free from the regulation of, quote, being school. I'm using air quotes. To me, that's where a lot of this uh, learning and, and enlightenment has come from, is to see folks in our community build those and create a space that allows a child to go deep in community on a particular topic and learn more yeah. than the school would ever let them learn and more than even the greatest uh, digital tool right. uh, would let them learn on their own. Oh, let America be America again. The land that never has been yet and yet must be the land where every man is free. The land that's mine, the poor man's. Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, 
whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me any ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain. From those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again. This is not some PG-13 movie where you're the hero and I really want you to make it. This is a rated R movie. <laughs> Why is this rated R? Because, friends, the existing status quo does not want to change. That institution, I'm not talking about the humans in it, I'm talking about the institution does not want to change. It has been based on structural bias and racism. We have not actually thought about letting students and family have more power. We are usually just cool with saying, why don't you choose from the stuff I put in front of you? But don't come on this side and actually make the food with me. Just stay over there and choose from what I've given you. That's not what the system's designed for, not to let them in the kitchen. I want them in the kitchen. As a parent, I want to be in the kitchen. As other parents, I want you to be in the kitchen for your kids, for my kids. I want you cooking, learning for my kids. Relationships over transactions, this thing has been built on transactions for 370 years. I believe in school as the one thing that can bring us together in this nation that's more effective at that than anything else, and I want to use it for that. And the reality is, to change all this stuff, that's a rated R movie, not some sweet Disney G-rated flick. Right? And I don't know about you, but my inner teacher still hears the voices of people saying, that's so sweet that you went into education and you're helping children. Thanks, good for you. That is BS. And we have to unpack our own identities as successful professionals, as adults, and understand that that is not the movie we are in. He's not as well known as Langston Hughes was, but he's my favorite living songwriter. And Melanie wrote a, a song in 95 called Skin. Here's one verse. Now look, if you're going to come around here and say those sort of things, you've got to take a few on the chin. You're talking about love and all that stuff? You better bring your thickest skin. You better bring your thickest skin to this game because we are in the business of changing an institution that has refused change for centuries. And that's why we do this in community because we have to stick together. So I think the future of school is rated R. You closed this morning by talking about bubbles popping. Yeah. Where'd, where'd the picture come from? That, well, that came from, I didn't give them credit. I should give them credit now. The slow-mo guys oh. is my brother's kid's favorite YouTube channel. Hmm. And these guys just have really high-speed high slow-mo cameras, so they film stuff and they slow it down. At this, they, they had a video of a bubble bursting, uh, just a, um, a soapy water bubble bursting, and they filmed it at 18,000 frames a second wow. and slowed it down. And... The conversation of, about bubbles popping started with Hassan, Hassan, who I had been speaking with him a week after the executive order on um, banning immigrants from a uh, in country including where he was born, Sudan. Right. And um, I was just thunderstruck by his incredibly eloquent 
explanation. There's a video on um, Facebook and Vimeo about it, and he was just remarkably humble and transparent about what that felt like to him. And we he started talking about the idea of the future school uh, feeling like bubbles popping because that that felt to him like a bubble being put around him around uh, part of his experience as a human being and as an American. And that's so that conversation with Hassan got me thinking about. Uh, all right, could we describe the future of school uh, with that sound of popping? And then it led to that really cool video. And, and so, I don't know, that mo- it struck me, to, you know, that, that that's where, that maybe that's how we could describe school, right? And it, I, you know, I think back to, you know, we always use this idea of uh, when a child learns something, a light bulb goes, goes yeah, off. But right. actually, Doug Lamov pushed me on that once, and he said, no, no. Um, ultimately, learning is failure. It is a failure of what you knew before, right? Yeah. So it's to the extent that popping is the failure yeah. of this, so I, this boundary. I, I like the idea of popping um, in, in terms of how it affects your mental model. I mean, usually what happens to me is my model collapses, yes. right? It, it's your, you were running this model, it seemed to jive with the world, and then stuff changed, and you're the model you used to interpret the old world stopped working yeah. and so that the, the, the there was an apt uh, description for a, a bubble popping is better than a light bulb going off America oh yes I say it plain America never was America to me and yet I swear this oath America will be out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we the people must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains and the endless plain, all, all the stretch of these great green states and make America again. Thanks again to Matt Candler for speaking with me and letting us share this amazing keynote. And thanks, too, to Dr. Kenneth Jones for his powerful reading of the Langston Hughes poem. It's one of Kenneth's favorite poems. It's a poem that reflects his time growing up in a segregated Little Rock and his return decades later to find some improvement, but not nearly enough. And as always, thanks to Andrew Luck for mixing it all together for us. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Kat. And Tom. Signing off.